90s, 90s. hip hop. We do not pretend to have achieved perfection. Junkie. Activate. Internet, 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 what's going on? It's the kid J. Dot Littles. I'm here with my co host Richie Vega, Big Jeff Zulu, and we got the legend in the building for episode three of the 90s Hip Hop Junkie podcast. And that is no other than Keith Shockley himself, baby. What up? What's up? What's up? What's up? What's good? Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> Freedom is a road, seldom traveled by the multitude. What are you doing on sound effects? <laughs> 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 Let's get it. The bomb squad in the building. So, uh, first off, Keith, uh, welcome to the '90s Hip Hop Junkie Podcast. Thank it's you. a pleasure and an honor to sit here with you. We got we, we we will allow this episode to serve as a history lesson for anybody who doesn't know who the bomb squad is mm-hmm. or who Keith Shockley is. Mm-hmm. Why don't we enlighten uh, the '90s Hip Hop Junkie audience on exactly what is the bomb squad? Who are they? And what is their where do they derive from and what is their uh, correlation with Public Enemy and all the great groups you worked with? Oh, first of all, I'd like to thank you for having me here. And if y'all was my kids, y'all gave me more props than my kids do. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to go real quick, too, before Keith go, goes in and let the audience know that he grew up with Chuck and Flav and that uh, Roosevelt, Long Island, where they dwell from, is has a rich history you know, not just Public Enemy, but you got Eddie Murphy and Charlie Murphy moved there. Mm-hmm. You got Julius Irving. You got Howard Stern. And I know I'm missing a couple. So. Aaron Hall. Yeah, Aaron Hall. Oh, I got, you know, uh, it's it's a bunch, man. Yeah, it's that's so legendary. Much. So talk to us uh, about the, the what, is, what is the Bomb Squad? Um, well, it, it, it came about, you know, we started doing a lot of beats and stuff like that. And mainly it was all the PE stuff. And then we started getting remixes. And then from the remixes, we was turning songs that was nowhere. They are going up to number one. And Chuck came up with the whole thing. He said, yo, we just need a name for you. I said, I got to get a name for you guys, man, because y'all be in the studio dropping bombs. And he said, oh, Simple. we might there call it go. the bomb squad because y'all <laughs> be dropping bombs. And Chuck, you know, he's an artist. He had drew... Uh, we had a T-shirt. I, I can't remember if, it, if Harry Allen has a picture of it. And he drew a picture of a. Of, now Chuck is a great artist. Yeah, I've seen. He's a I've great seen. artist. He's a, still doing a, it. A, uh, yes, he's still. He gotten back into it. He's, he's got. He got doodles. away from it, but he doodling. got back into it. So he, he was drew, doodling. Yeah, he was always, doodling. He was doodling. He's always doodling on oh, like yeah. one of those black yep. uh, memo. That sounds yep. like a personal problem. Yep. But yeah. anyway, so, <laughs> yeah. so he drew a he drew a um a B fifty two bomber plane. Now he drew the pole plane. It was crazy. And then he drew it instead of dropping bombs, 
dropping records. It was like, you know, the 12 inches. It was crazy. Ooh. It was like it was flying over and, and it was just dropping records out. That shit was, that shit was crazy. Oh, that was crazy, man. And then, you know, it just stuck, man. We just started giving it the name and everybody came out with a squad. <laughs> <laughs> so y'all kind of y'all kind of accountable for the first uh for yeah. the, for the slang the, the yeah. squad. Yeah. Yeah, we accountable for a lot of that. They all tell you, yep. And then flip mode terror squad, flip mode death squad, everybody was a squad after that. <laughs> so besides you and your brother Hank, who else were the original members of uh the bomb squad? So the original members was me, my brother Hank, my cousin Eric Vietnam Sadler. Um Bill Stephanie and Chuck. So we was like the actual we was the actual members of the bomb squad. And um and Bill was there. We we, we got a picture of it, but Bill was there because he was we was all started from the BAU era and Bill started working at Def Jam and stuff like that while we got signed and everything. So it, it was all a big family thing. But it was just us doing a lot of joints and we just started we started doing a lot of remixes because after we finished the the PE album, the first one, it was like, so how are we going to make money? <laughs> so it was like, well, Chuckin' was on the road doing stuff. We was like, what were we going to do? Because that was basically it. We had no more artists to work with so but that we was bringing out out of our camp. So we got into doing remixes. And from the remixes, it started to um, morph and like, we did this group called Age of Chance, our first remix, and you know, it was getting shit like fifteen hundred dollars all in. You know, back then, fifteen hundred dollars a lot of money, but all in. It was like mastering, mixing, editing, yeah, engineering. Y'all got, 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 got jerked on that. Oh, none of us knew this shit. You yeah. know, if I'd have had a, a talk with Shep Pettibone and, and shit like that, I met him later, but they was doing all the remixes and all the songs, maybe we'd have understood what was happening, you know. Um so we started getting into that, and then it just morphed into just other people coming in and wanted to do stuff with us, and, and they was bringing in things. And then round about that time, Rush was kicking, but then Rush Production Management started to kick in. But then when Hank used to always go up to Def Jam a lot, and you know after the late Francesca Spiro was up in there, she was running it. He had suggested, well, why don't y'all just manage producers? Because nobody was doing that. No, that's where Rush Productions they, 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 light bulb went off. Clink, 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 clink. <laughs> wow, we never thought of that. So when they started managing producers, us like the Chris Pauls and them coming in, and it's like, now that started a whole new lane for producers in the hip hop to have a whole nother zone to come into. And, it, and, and y'all see the history. It just went no, from just, there. Just to be clear, this is like 87? This is 87. Okay. Going into 87, going into 88. Okay. You know what so I'm saying? So right now you just got Bring the Noise. So, you haven't got It Takes a Nation of Millions. Nah. And Johnny Juice and uh, Gary G. Wiz are not a part of the Bomb Squad yet. They're not in there yet. Um, Juice came along. As, well, Juice was around, but he wasn't in the Bomb Squad. And he was around at the time when... We had this crew um, that had got signed to, uh, I can't remember, but it was the Kings of Pressure. Okay. And Johnny Juice was the DJ for the Kings of Pressure. So that became the thing with that. 
Yeah, Johnny Juice has a rich history. Yes. He came out from the Bronx, came to Long Island. In Long Island. He uh, helped um, start the- uh, Yeah, he was in Uniondale. Uh, yeah, and, he started and, uh, Buster Rhymes, the leaders a, of the new yeah, school and that, all of them. And yeah, he used so, to dance and also yeah. DJ, he used to battle. So you know. so with, with that is, I mean, even with, with the leaders of the new school, we all, we had them, you know, we had a bunch of MCs coming up from the era of WBAU, which kind of kicked off everything. Um, we were still DJs and, and DJing in the park and throwing our own roller rinks. I got history. I got a Spoonie G history, but I ain't worried about that. <laughs> but Keith, not to cut you off, but for the young cats tuning in and, and just getting this this education, can you school them to the, the WBAU era? Okay, WBAU era came about when Chuck was going to Adelphi University, and he, he had this guy in his classroom, Bill Stephanie. And Bill Stephanie had a show on the college radio station, WBAU. And it, 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 you know, he had local listeners that maybe some on campus. It was that thing. And when Chuck and Bill hooked up in one of their class, they started talking. And Bill was like, well, I know y'all, y'all Spectrum. Y'all doing all the parties and all of that. And Chuck, Bill, they had the conversation. And we, we figured out, like, well, while we all come together, it's a radio station. Now, you got to understand, this is 80, what, 83, 82, 83. And it was only how many rap shows? And you had Hank Love, um, Magic had his uh, radio show, um, D, um, uh, Awesome Beats. Two, awesome Zulu two. Beats, yeah. um, you know, Supreme Team. Yep. It was very, but you only had small slots. Mm-hmm. And Cats was in the, yeah, you know, those weekend slots. Yeah, the weekend, weekend it was slots. a weekend slot or late night, like one in the morning slots. So we had BAU. We was on at ten in the app, ten in the evening, to one with Bill, and this was a Monday. Okay. So now this, so basically, this might have been like five stations, most of them college, and the other one was um, the underground stations. Um, like I said, um, uh, with HB, HBI and all of them, where you had to pay to get on there. Right. So we had, and that kind of put us in another bracket, because when we started, when we had the radio show. We started throwing our own parties, and then we'll give give uh, give out um, tickets to come to our shows and stuff like that. You guess what name of it? Who wrote this record? And uh, all kinds of crazy stuff. We'll give contested giveaways. So that started to take momentum. Mm. So now we're renting roller rinks and DJing, and we packing them out. Now, I tell you the craziest craziest one we did the roller rink was that. Um, Hempstead had Hempstead Roller Rink. Shit held about, you know, you can put in 3,000. We had a roller rink in Roosevelt. Dad, that's when Flash and go. Yeah, it's crazy history. I ain't going to go there. <laughs> I, can, I can sit there for hours. We got so much history. So we had through this party, and at that time, we wanted to be promoters like Russell. Because Russell used to do the diplomat and all that. He used to get down. We was like, yo, we could throw our party. But we had Long Island on lock. We had from East... From the from the from the east to the west on lock, so we threw this party at the um, Hempstead Roller Rink, and we had just picked, we had just found out we was being DJs and being in the record pool. We had just found out that these new kids, um, Fearless Four, had just dropped Rockin' It, and we heard I think we heard it from Magic, and then we you know then I got in the pool, we got in the pool, and we said, Yo, let's get them to throw this joint. So we threw a we threw a concert. Wasn't even a concert, it was a party, and they just got down. And rocking it just exploded. 
We caught it like we caught them. I think we might have been their first party that they ever did. We threw that party. Yep, we threw DLB and all of them. It was crazy. And when we threw that party, yo, we had about three thousand more. Damn near like three thousand in the in the in the um, in the roller ring. There's a picture, but almost it wasn't that party that Harry Allen took that we have that flavors on and flavors down with us at the time. He was on with the mic, and when we threw that party with with Fearless Four, it seemed like the next week that record went pow and bam, just hit crazy. It was so big, Jay Z yeah. went and redid it. Yep. Well, not the song uh, "Rocking It," yeah. but he used the beat. He used the beat. Yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah. So it was it was crazy. So before all this, we was already doing it in in Long Island. Basically DJing, we was DJing in the parks, but then we used to have all the the Queens DJs come out here. Y'all, I ain't gonna get into that. That's a whole, that's a whole other. <laughs> you talk about Infinity Machine, King Charles, Disco Twins, of uh, of uh, uh, Cipher Sounds, and all. And hey, everybody used to come out to. We had this park called Centennial Park. That was the that was the the mop up park. You, you are now listening to the '90s Hip Hop Junkie Podcast. <laughs> Alright, Keith, so talk to us um about the induction to the uh, music hall of fame and how, how that Which means we we in we in both we in the Long Island Music Hall of Fame and we in the Rock and Roll Music Hall of Fame. The Long big, Island Music Hall of Fame, I didn't even know they did that shit. I wasn't even there. <laughs> you got inducted, Chuck, you didn't even Chuck, know. Yeah, but Chuck knew and they came back and like, you didn't tell nobody, like, you know, so he said, Well, here's here's your induction trophy. I'm like, ah, come on. So, but the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was was um, was our first time being nominated, and then we got in. So um, that was that was kind of surreal. So with all of that going on, it was like, I mean, it was still like, eh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Only one that was in before us was Flash. Yeah, you guys were the second. Or Flash, was it Run DMC? No, Flash, Run DMC. Um, and I know the Beastie Boys the, and Tupac and, and be- LL have all been in uh, Put in, but I think they all came after you. Yeah, LL hasn't been in yet. They've been they've been up on for nomination. Oh, okay. um, they've been up for not two. So right two now, it's five five uh, uh, hip hop artists: it's Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, Public Enemy, Run DMC, Beastie Boys, and Tupac. Are Tupac and NWA? Oh, that's right, NWA. NWA. So that's that's that, and you know, um, I I never understood how all, all that voting and everything works, but the crowd. Figured that we was worthy to get in it. Um, yeah, so apparently it's writers. Yeah, it's writers. It's writers, and then they still let some of the fans vote for right, it too. Right. Um, so the writers and everybody just thought we was just worthy to get into it. So when we got into it, we were still treating like, oh yeah, Rock and Hall of Fame, and da 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 da. And then I told you when it sunk into me when you at the ceremony, we sitting there, and then all of a sudden, you know, this is packed with everybody in there. 
And I ain't really paying attention. Reading Quincy, Oprah, Rick, you know, don't you name it. Man, I was in there chilling with Cindy Crawford. And that's when I met my man Gary Clark Jr. So ah, nice. that was, you know, when when I saw our name come up there on the big ass screen, and you just looking at that shit like, whoa. And then and then what really hit me is that Roosevelt, Long Island. Because they usually say New York. No, they Roosevelt. They got Long specific. Island. They got yeah, specific. They got real specific with that. And I was like, oh, that's that's crazy. Because like I said, it was the only person in there before it was Flash, Run. Beasties, right? So you guys were the fourth. Yeah, we were the fourth. Right. So that's like out of all that, hip hop is seeping in to a ship called rock. You know, then there's a little backstory. Then you got the purest. That's not rock. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For all your rock motherfuckers, y'all ain't <laughs> doing rock. Y'all doing blues. Yeah. So, <laughs> so let's get into that. So that was that was monumentous. You know, um, the that? only one person that really stuck out. We was we was when we was walking into the spot. Fucking Neil Diamond was standing behind us. I turned around wow. and I said, oh, shit. So I got a picture of me, Hank, Chuck, and Neil Diamond. That's like. That's crazy. I'm like, I stopped everybody. I stopped yeah. the cameras. I was like, Did y'all start swing, singing Sweet Caroline? Yo, we started like, in there, man. We was about to do Love on the Rocks. You don't breathe. <laughs> that when I'm, I'm on my Neil Diamond. Was that one of your most surrealist moments? That was my surrealist moments out of everything. Wow. You know, that right there was like. Come on, man. We started from my mom's basement, you know. Um, then our youth, our youth, this was nowhere near our brains. And you also, know. sorry to cut you no, short. No, go ahead. What's really interesting, most hip-hop artists in the 80s started out about 17, 18, 19. So now in 86, when Public Enemy is starting, to you know, MC-wise, Chuck is in his mid-20s, number one. And number two, he really didn't even want to rhyme. He had to actually be kind of like encouraged and like sort of like, I call it like the Harry Truman uh, syndrome. Like Frank Frank, uh, Roosevelt, the president, said, no, you're my vice president. So... People kind of like, kind of like pushed him into that, which you know, is kinda, which is really it's, bugged it's, out it's, to me. It's it's because Chuck was about his book and his and his art. Now Chuck can design you a house because that's what he did. He did architectural design. So this was like, you know, when we when he decided to do this rap thing, pops was like, well, you just got a degree. What's <laughs> up with this rap shit? Like, just, you know, I'm going to take a little time off to see if this how this rap thing works. And that was, that was it. And it was yeah, Will, was Will Smith got a scholarship to MIT, yeah. and he told his That's mom, "I'm works. just going to do this for one year, see what happens, and uh, the rest is history." <laughs> That's all it takes. You're blind, baby. You're blind from the facts on who you are because you're watching that garbage. Allow me to segue into what you mentioned about um, rock and, you know, rock purists not uh, deeming what you guys did as rock music. One song that, that popped into my head was She Watched Channel Zero, where you guys uh, lifted a, a riff from um, Slayer, Angel of Death. Yeah. So who was the brainchild behind that? Were you on the MPC? Nah, Hank was all that. Who the, was really the, the brainchild the when it came album, to like crafting the, the beats? Um, Eric 
was the was the main was the main one because Eric was the the most he was the musician out of all of us. Right. So he knew how to like take all the stuff that we needed to and put it in studio sense. And then Eric made a lot of the beats too. He just had a feel that was crazy. Right, right. You know, he did he did all of that. So, but it was Hank's idea to to make sure all of this shit what we was doing happened. Now, mind you, at, at during the first album, I kind of like after the DJing, I kind of left. I'm like, I got a kid and I'm working. I kind of left. Then also when shit started going into motion, hanging chucking was like, Yo, Keith, man. It, you, you you was the one that got us, you know. Here we right. we need you to do this because you've been there because I was doing all the beats for all the artists right. that was going on BAU, like the leaders, which wasn't called the leaders at the time. Um, you know, Chuck gave them that name, and also oh, Chuck gave leaders of the new yes. school their name. Yeah, wow. But Chuck another, gave another Long Island wait, wait, hold on. Chuck Another gave, Long Island act. Chuck gave everybody in that crew, except for Dinko D, their name. Now you and Buster tell you, Buster wanted to call himself Lord Tyheen. Wow! Remember, he's running with the five, the guards. He's running with the guards. Trevor. Yep. <laughs> so he's a five percenter at yes. this point. Yes. Yes. So he's running with the guards. He's Lord Tyheen, um, and people still call him Tyheen. I even now and then I call him Tyheen because that's how we grew up. Habit. Yeah. So um, and then um, Charlie Brown, Brian. So underrated. Yeah. He had he had a different. He had it. Well, I forgot. I think he was called Brian B or something, something like that. B H. Chuck said, "Nah, you need a name like Charlie Brown." And then he <laughs> gave he gave Buster his name, How's Buster Rhymes. What was it? Do you know the science behind like him naming him so Buster Rhymes? Chuck, Chuck with Chuck and Hank. Sometimes they would just we just brainstorm on names. Chuck would come up with crazy names, and then what he would do is draw. Or, or do the artwork or the logo or what or what it should right, be. Right, right. Give it life. You give it you life. Bring it, he bring would it. give it what it should be. But he was instrumental in giving people hot names. So the story, this, this, it went like this. There was this kid that played for the Cleveland Browns. He was um, a, 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 a safety. His name was Buster Ryan. But nobody understood that. <laughs> so see, Chuck I gotta look like, that up. Chuck I didn't was like, know this. Chuck was like, "Yo, that would be a dope name for an artist." So we proposed it to Buster. It wasn't Buster. It was Bus a rhyme. Right. I figured yeah. that. I figured at some bus, part, at some point, somebody said that a rhyme. So you bust a rhyme. So now you keep saying the quizzes, so it sound like Buster rhymes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that was that was the whole idea because Buster had a lot of rhymes. He had a lot of energy. You know, he was there. Um, Charlie was another one. They, they just, leaders just worked so well. And they were supposed to be our next group coming up. So what happened was they was getting antsy and kind of broke off from us and got their own deal. So we was like, yo, wait, we had you covered. But they got their own thing and it worked out. Hey, yo, what's up, B-Double? Yo, what's up, man? Yo, these crab MCs got us trapped up behind these walls, man. But I'm ready to break out here and do this, you know what I'm saying? So what's the magic so word? Open sesame. I let yeah. down that main could, could you take us through, like, you said, like, the whole the whole movement started in your basement. Yeah. Right, could you take us through, like, a, a quick little journey of from the basement to the, you know, when y'all start, when y'all signing and really kicking in the door. That, that journey was, that journey was, 
was was crazy. So it went from a, a little program in our youth center. So from there, my brother was like, we was doing most of doing most of work. Then he just came, him and his other kid, Eugene, came up with the name. We need a D, they need a DJ name. Now I'm a little motherfucker, like sixth, seventh grade, little motherfucker coming out of there. So that happened, and then all of a sudden. My brother said, well, fuck it. I just keep, we was doing late parties and we couldn't bring it back to the youth center, so we just keep the equipment at the house. Mm. And all of a sudden, when the whole youth center thing kind of vanished, went, went away, we just kept it. And we started doing party for my mom's basement. So my mom's basement, this year's coming through. You talking about, I'm, that's my mid-70s going up, all up until like the 80s. And you so, was, like, how old was you at, right? I started, I started in youth center when I was in the eighth grade. I got a picture. 14. I, I was like 14. Yeah, it was like 14. So we started DJing, learning, you know, this primitive. This shit is like Stone Age. Dinosaurs, pterodactyls was flying around. <laughs> Keep in mind, hip hop hasn't even come out yet. Like, no, hip hop hasn't coming out. You got guys it, dancing and guys DJing. It was all about, there's no, there's no all, records. Yeah, it's all about keeping the party going continuously. So hip hop so, is not even born yet. No, it's not even born. I'm, this is 74, 70, uh, 73, 74. We got a little DJ program going on. So, and all we was mimicking our favorite heroes from the radio station, like Gary Bird, Hank Spann, um, you know, the Frankie Crock and all of them. Those was like, you know, when you're doing parties, we used to emulate them. Right. So that was the coolest thing. Now, coming out of there and going into my mom's, it was like, that's when the thing started kicking. My mom used to help us, like, all right, I'm going to get your guys a van because his was the thing. I don't care what anybody says about living on Long Island, it ain't like what it is. Right. You know, yes, we have middle class blacks, but that's low class compared to the richness in Long Island. Yeah. And it kept all the blacks in one area. So you know, you go down the, the 495, Long Island Expressway. Majority of black people live on the south side mm-hmm. of the, nobody knows this shit. They live on the south side of the, of, of, of the expressway and your rich lives up on the north. They kind of seeped into the Hamptons because they skipped over now into the Hamptons. But if you go in Hampton, Southampton, it's all indigenous and poor. Mm. So all that Hampton shit, everybody be kicking. Ain't, that ain't <laughs> true. That's a one little, one little island yeah. and all that bullshit. Cause they, I know, they be bragging. Yeah, they be bragging. Your mother, no, your motherfuckers. <laughs> I'm, out to, the, I'm out to the Hamptons this weekend. Y'all done, y'all, done, y'all done moved out the indigenous, kept the blacks there poor, and y'all yeah. moving in Hampton and whatever the fuck y'all doing. Yeah. So. With that, when my mom's in the in keeping us in the basement, so it's just like, okay, y'all DJing, I can keep an eye on you. So, you know, you got to understand, every most of the people living in Long Island, they got family that's from the city. So my mom's is from the city. She's from Harlem. She was the only one that out of there that lived, moved to Long Island. So right. we're there. We're doing our thing. My mom's trying to keep us on a straight path, which worked worked a lot. She knew the DJ thing kept us out of just doing nothing and running in the streets. So she was very supportive. She got us a van because she was supportive because our cousins were like, yo, keep, keep hanging on there, DJ. Like, <laughs> y'all paying us? She's like, yeah. Hold on, Keith. We got, we got a shot to Mama. Shout out to Mama. Yeah, Mama Shockley holding she, it down. She was holding it down. So, so that became that thing where my mom was into it. Then all of a sudden it was getting out of hand. We was running up the light bill. She was like... <laughs> I want the shit out of my house. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't care. I want it out. Y'all running up my bills. And and my house was, our house was always like the neighborhood house. Everybody want to go to the parties. They come to the crib. You're getting them parties free. People need to stay. You know, I, it, was, it was like that. That's the way we lived. So within that, we Hank and Chuck found this place in Hempstead. 
which became the infamous 510. And that's how it was like. It was kind of, you know, short-lived. But in my mom's house, we was DJing. We made, we even made, remember the acid, acid plates? We made an acid plate um, with called NBC. Chuck called it the National Boogie Cut. And we took the <laughs> we took the call letters. Remember the little call letter? Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, we took that. And that was, and, and we was cutting it over. I was cutting it off over, um, 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 was it busting loose? Um, yeah, we just took the bait and we was just going at. And then one of the cats, um, my man Joe, Wood, and he played the bass. So it was just drums, and he played the bass line over it. Was it was crazy? And we were just saying all kinds of stupid party shit, and you know, we were just trying to get our thing out. So within that, um, we did the acid plate. Then when we got to five ten, things started to heat up a little differently. Um, we knew this little kid downstairs was so, making songs, and so Five Ten was it was your studio. Five Ten was the was the main Five studio. Ten Franklin Avenue. Five Ten Franklin Avenue. That's where that's when that's when shit started to heat up. So we're throwing parties, we DJing. Um, Chuck connected with Bill. Now my mom's kicked us out like it was like eighty, like around eighty, and then by that time Chuck was going into Adelphi. I'm like graduating from 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 high school. So we're going back and forth. So we had 510. We didn't have a car. Sometimes we had to walk there. It was like, this is a little thing. But we did what we had to do. You didn't have the 98 Oldsmobile? No, nah, we ain't get that yet. We ain't get that yet. <laughs> that shit didn't come in yet. 90s Hip Hop Junkie. One, two, one, two. Brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters. I don't know what this world is coming to. Yes. The rhythm, the rebel, without a pause, I'm lowering my level. The hard rama, where you never been, I'm in. You want styling, you know it's time again. So what uh, drove the political vehicle behind Public Enemy and the Bomb Squad? You know, in terms of like Chuck D's lyrics, because I, me as a fan, I always felt like the production matched the urgency of the lyrics. Mm. So I like to deem your music, I used, I call it riot music. Yeah. Because it feels like what Chuck D's talking about, mm. the music complements it. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of rappers, you know, you fast forward to try to speak this revolution talk on their records, but then sometimes the beats, they don't convince me and they don't move me, you know, in the same direction. NWA might be an example, mm -hmm. but what kind of drove that vehicle? Did somebody get into the nation of Islam or somebody studying 5%? Where did that whole thing come together being black on long island <laughs> that's it enough said enough said <laughs> being black on long island and you gotta understand we come out of the you know i was we was born in the 60s so when martin luther king was killed i was like maybe like eight nine you know around there so we coming out of there um the whole thing with the red black and green movement then there comes the nation of islam so, um, which was, which has became, even when we was young, a heavy influence um, uh, uh, with um, uh, my, my bad, uh, not Minister, but. Minister Farrakhan? No, before. Malcolm Minister, X? No, before. Elijah no, the, Muhammad? Um, Elijah Muhammad. Sorry. Okay. Um, excuse me, uh, my, my fellow Muslim brothers, Elijah Muhammad. Um, so, that was kind of like our thing. Because that kind of brought the the community closer, and we started to learn different things. Because we're going through this struggle 
of, you know, we still got the racism going on, especially in Long Island. It's there. We're trying to, we're young. We're understanding that, that our culture. We're understanding more so of what who we are. But then, within the midst of all of that, the whitest of the white school, corporate ivory school, college, I should say, instituted a program that changed our lives. This is where all this comes from. So Hofstra University had this program called the Afro-American Studies, where for the summer, where they would take the black black youth within our radius from like you can from I'll say Roosevelt, Freeport, Hempstead, Uniondale, um, West Hempstead, um, maybe even some coming from. If you was up in Great Great Neck, they had a little. They had buses. Just when the government was funding all this stuff, you know, they was doing their thing. So, and Hostra took that to educate everybody. Now you know Hostra is that Ivy League. You you want to be a lawyer? You go to Hostra. Yeah, yeah. That's where they're at. So that right there taught us a whole lot because everybody it was it was just like it was like going to summer camp. But you're going with people from, you know, from other towns. You're not going to summer camp in your little town. and You're mixing with other people. They have buses picking up. They had lunch program. It was almost like it was very similar to what the uh, Black Panthers was doing. Now, I'm telling you, this is like 70, 71, 79, 71 um, going down. You know what I'm saying? 70, 71. So it's, it's that thing. you at the peak of racial tension within the country. Vietnam War is kicking. And we're learning about this in a summer program. Now, in this program, were they integrating the different nationalities or it was just like a program for the black kids? It was just for the black kids. We didn't have no, because, you know, we didn't really have too many different nationalities. It was was, was started by black kids and they, and the hospital helped fund it. You know, we'll you know, we'll have lunch, you know, classes. You have to learn things, arts and craft, and kids age from uh, uh man, we was, uh, maybe like from nine, maybe a little like from nine to like seventeen. Mm. So that we all going to Hostel University. So that helped with the tension, because I'm sure you guys were going through a lot of the racial stuff. Well, and- it was there, but once you stayed in your neighborhood, you really didn't see much. Right. And Roosevelt as quiet as a kid, I'm letting it out, at that time was was white at one point, then the mix, then after the Martin Luther King shooting, you saw white flight, and then it became all black. Mm. Now, there was a few white people that stuck around, like Howard Stern and his family. They stood. I had a couple of other people that stood, stuck around. They stayed there. They're like, I'm graduating from this shit. You know, like, we here. But most of them did the white flight. So that came after that because after the I never heard of that term white what, flight. Yeah, white flight. Like it's people, been, a, it's white been people in existence. Fl- it's been in existence. White, that's white people fleeing they, out. Yes, in the exactly. In the, never heard of that term. On Fifty Second Street, um, black people moved from downtown to Fifty Second Street, and then white people moved uptown. And then once black people came up to Harlem. Then white people moved out of Harlem and in other areas like Hollis, Queens, like yeah. where Run and D grew up before 1975. Hollis was like about 80 or 90 percent white. Yeah. And then after like 75, when they were like teenagers, then like there was no white people there at all. 
What I wanted to also add on to what you were saying, and it's really important to understand that as black people and brown people, we've always um, existed and always fought under the conditions that were forced upon us. So around 1985-86, crack became really prevalent in the minority communities. And I feel that as a result of crack and other conditions that were going on, you know, Reaganomics and all this other thing, you know, you had light. From the darkness came the light. And the light was Rakim, Chuck D, and KRS, you know, who I consider three friends and three heroes in the hip-hop game, and they're part of the golden era. You had other people that came on a little later, like Big Daddy Kane, uh, Tribe Called Quest, and uh, Jungle Brothers. And all this is like conscious and revolutionary lyrics, and I think it's based on a result of the fact that crack was put in there by the government, you know, into the black communities and spread through like wildfire to the white communities. Just the same yeah. as they did in the 60s with, with the 50s with heroin and the 60s with Pro with the Black Panther Party. Yeah. So, I mean, you have that going on within all of that and and our knowledge from the 70s is understanding that. Remember, man, you know, I'm going to touch on this a little bit. Go ahead. Remember, in the 70s, we were so pro-black, we wore red, black, and green. That's why when we first came out, we had the red, black, and green, and down. And that just showed, yeah, this is where we're from, even though they didn't want to acknowledge it. And then they come up with this term Afro-American. I, I don't get that. I don't care. Anybody can challenge me on I don't get that. I'm black. This is what it is. So um, I get it. We're from, our ancestors are from there, but we've been disconnected from there. Um, so within that, we would, like, like, even if you wore red, white, and blue, you'd be like, yo, would you a sellout? It was crazy. But this is how we was living. This is how we was feeling. And this is how, when you touched on something with Reaganomics, now, Within Reaganomics, this is when I think the drug and the crack epidemic exploded in the black labor. Because what Reaganomics did, cut off all our avenues. Like, remember we had to use our tour we started our youth center? He got rid of all that shit. He got rid of us hanging out in, in, in areas where we can understand and learn. I mean, we still had our issues, but we had these things. You had an outlet. We had, there we was had an outlet. outlet. Was we an had outlet. an outlet. Now you shut that off. Right. Now you threw us to the streets. Now you threw us to the wolves. So I can sum this up by us throwing the parties we were doing in the streets was that was that became our kind of youth center we can gather at. But then you know, just right. <laughs> the other side you make sure you get stuck up. <laughs> right. But but that was that was a big part of that. To go back to production, you you ne you listed a number of groups, um, Tribe Called Quest and the Jungle Brothers. Uh, it goes back to my point. The production was just on point with the message. Man, um, you know what I'm saying? And I want to ask you, when you look at the landscape of hip-hop today, what's your take, if, if you're a fan or not, but what's your take when you kind of look at it today? And you have a couple of conscious yeah. hip-hop rappers, yeah. but where do they go wrong? Where, where is their bomb squad? Where, what, what are they doing wrong? Um, they're not doing nothing wrong. You got to understand, remember, Jeff, when we came in, we fought to be recognized. When you want to be recognized and be accepted, a price came with that. The price was corporations taking over and making it a, a cash cow. Hmm. That's where we went wrong. We didn't understand that world. Right. We didn't know how to. We know. We know. We didn't know how to monetize that for ourselves. We, we, we would. We didn't know nothing about that. 
We mm. learned about that as we as it progressed. Right. But that production we had with the Bomb Squad, that's Hank's, him and Chuck's brainchild because we always felt that if you're going to be pro-positive, your music got to be just as uh, rageful exactly. as that. Exactly. Now, that's where some people couldn't get it right. Uh, it didn't trust me. We learned from Scotland Rock, Molly Mall, but they didn't do positive stuff. But we understood the production. Now, Chuck is not a street lyricist. Right. He's a book lyricist. Right. So he wouldn't come in and bust shit off the top of his head. His shit was all written down. But how he put it together a sick. wasn't Disgusting. crazy. Was sound like I remember when I would listen to uh, Chuck Chill Out or Morley. Mm. And I would hear um, Public Enemy Number One. Mm. That beat—I don't even know what that tone was. It sounded like a transistor. That changed—that changed my life. So, like I listened to stuff I like at that. The radio, like what the hell? Exactly. I, mean, so, I wasn't into break beats. So, but, I was but like, with oh that, my God. with that was with that was. See now, we had a combination of a lot of things. Once, sometimes living on Long Island, you got to understand we have some big rock bands come from Long Island, like shit. Twisted Sister, you mm-hmm. go to Stray Cats and all that, and rock and the yes, rock Lord. bands and the rock world from the seventies, they they kind of controlled all the spots. So we would have a we would get all kinds of music that we listened there to, it is. just like everybody else would get. There it is. But that was our kind of zone where we we was more like we wanted noisy because in order to hear a message. We didn't want to be preachy. We wanted you to make sure you hear it. How do you make sure you hear it? We understood how to take the noise and make it melodic and Incredible. make it melody. Incredible. And that was Hank was like, this has got to be like this. And it's got to go that way. And, 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 and no, that ain't what I'm hearing. So we go, we, we be at the drawing board. Now, this, these things wasn't coming up like that. We put it like how cats do now. You put it in. Right, right, right. We had to. Build and design and make it and try it out. Oh, that shit sucks. That I ain't saw a work. feature um, on Video Music Box with Ralph McDaniels way back in the day. You might have been in the clip. I know Hank Shockley was, and they had a, a huge 48-channel board, and he was just giving a little quick tip on how he layered drum yeah. beats. We, we and did a lot. I'm talking about your most basic drum track, which somebody might think it's a loop. They had like eight different patches we had, we all to had. create this one thick... So, Heavy ass drum pattern. So imagine, and it wasn't simple. Yeah. So imagine we coming in with that. We had to train the engineers. Like we, we, we will push the engineers, and at that time, Sonic making music to the limits. We want to go. We went over the limit. Yeah. But they were like, no, we can't go that far because there are, there are guidelines the that we have the threshold that we have to do when we go to print. Mm. So it was like, okay, just go to the edge of it. Right, because, right. But it had to be that, and it had to be different than what Marley did because we took a lot of that from Marley, and we had to make it thing. The only thing different than I think between us and Marley, it was a bunch of us on the track, and Marley was just him. So it was like right, but, right, right. But, but Marley held but, his but, own. But but the thing was, we loved Marley's production, you know that, right. and then we under, then we loved Scott LaRock's production. And then, you know, with the Def Jam and the 808s and stuff like that, we like that.
but we didn't want to do that because a lot of cats was just doing the right. 808 songs. So my cousin Eric and I, we just like, well, we just make our own 808. I mean, you guys were original. Yeah. That's that's you guys were in your own pocket. Yeah. You know, I appreciate the MC Chan stuff and the KRS stuff, which is all great. But you're right. To but, your point, it all kind of had a little bit of it, a similarity. It became to it. A, it became production wise and song wise. It became the 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 issues of being black and living in suburbia. It, it's it and, and people start to understand. It's no matter of fact, we kind of had a little crazier. Yo, Chuck, what's the move, man? I was on my way up here to the studio. You know what I'm saying? And this brother stopped me and asked me, Yo, what's up with that brother Chucky D? He sway nice. I said, Yo, the brother don't sway nice. He knows he's nice. You know what I'm saying? So Chuck, you got a feeling you're turning into a public enemy, man. Now remember that line you was kicking to me on the way out to LA, Lyle, Queens, while we was in the car on our way to the shop. Well, yo, right now, kick the bass for them brothers and let them know what goes on. What goes on? Well, well. Yeah, put it up on the board, another rapper shot down from the mouth that roars. One, two, three, down for the count to be some of my lyrics, oh yes, no doubt. Cold rock rap, 49 supreme is what I choose and I use. I never lose to a team, cause I can go solo like a Tyson photo. More people converted to the nation of Islam after listening to It Takes a Nation of Millions than even when Brother Malcolm and Brother Elijah were out in the 50s and the 60s um, reaching out to the black and the brown community. For me, It Takes a Nation of Millions is still, that came out in 88, 31 years later, nine years after the first you know records were on the air. That album is... If it's not the greatest album ever made, it's in the top five greatest albums, not just for the lyrics, but for the way that you and Eric and Hank put the beats together. Yeah. And like you said, I agree. it's 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 phonetic and its sound conveys the message of the anger right. in 1988 that's in the black and brown community as a result of Reaganomics, as a result of crack and cocaine and the conditions that we're being forced to live in. And like I said, that era, 86 to 88, for me, I don't care what people say. They can argue about, you know, whatever, Wu-Tang, Nas, Biggie. They can argue about Kendrick Lamar. They can argue about Kumo D and, you know, uh, Grandmaster Kaz and Melly Mel. For me, 86 to 88 was the greatest era by far in hip-hop because it spawned some of the greatest MCs and... You know, the, just the albums and like, mm. you know, it was such a variety. Like, and uh, this is like at the height of like Red Alert and Molly Mall and Chuck Chill Out being on the air. But at the time, you know, it's only on Friday nights and Saturday nights for three hours. So, you know, a lot of kids today are blessed and take for granted. But, you know, hip hop was not on the air other than like uh, when Rapper's Delight came on, people, when that first, when that song dropped 40 years ago last week. That song actually was on during the day. But other than that, hip-hop was only at night. And, uh, you know, yep. Monday nights, like you said, but, with BAU, but for the most part, it was a Friday night and a Saturday night thing. Yeah. It was, it was, it was definitely on that night. And then, because it was something new. So we figured, coming from a Long Island perspective, you know, we going to college, you know, I went to private school. So it's like, 
yeah, I'm getting two lives. I'm understanding how white life live at from a private school perspective at a young age and then still coming in this, my little hood, you know, I mm-hmm. we DJing in the street. So it's like, it was like, and I went to a Lutheran school. So it was like, <laughs> it was like, it, it's, it was crazy. But we start to understand the difference. You know, the, you know, the cops always in our neighborhood patrolling. And I remember I had an issue at one point where I'm telling them, I had, you know, private school, we get days off, then public school. They was like, asking me about being out of school. Were you skipping school? Like, nah, I go to private school. No, you don't. Yes, I, yes, I do. Like, I had to convince, I'm like, I'm in the seventh grade. I got to convince this motherfucking cop that I, I go to private school. No, you can't, it was, it was almost like, you ain't. You can't afford private right, right. school. It was like that. I'm like, wow, we own the homes? Why can't we do that? So it. when you deal with that and you deal with, those kind of issues coming up, you know, we didn't have like the, the the urban issues, but it was different living condition. Everybody stacked on top of each other. We got our own yard, but it's like, no, you only can live in this area. You better not go nowhere here. We're not letting you come over to Merrick, which was the next town behind me where the Baldwins are from. You know, the Lindsay Lohanum is from. They, they was the next town over. We can walk to this crib. Yeah, Merrick, they, Montauk, they can get. Yeah, that's the white area. They can do all whatever they want. But, you know, we. No, you stay here. Being that, so, all right. So, in, that, in high school, though, you guys had the parties on Smash. We had the parties on did, Smash. Did you ever have some of those girls trying to come over to the parties and shit? From the uh, other towns? No, nah, well, into well kids? It, they, they'll, they'll come from. You know, one thing you you know you didn't do, you didn't mix with the whites and the blacks oh, and right. the certain. Yeah. Like, white kids would never come to Roosevelt. You know, we would never go to that except town. Except for Howard Stern. Yeah, except for Howard Stern. We would never <laughs> Who go. Who was living there? The now, here's a, here's a crazy part. We would never go to their town unless we out there to steal the bikes. Right. You know, we, they had the dope bikes. Right. So, yo, I just stole this bike from America. You know, they, they had all kinds of swings, brand new 15 speeds, spanking new, you know, this was Charlie Murphy and them come <laughs> Charlie and them come in. This was Charlie and them come in. They would, like, just go over there and jack Jack cats all day long, but you didn't. You, you yes, you just still. It was still separate. Right. The only time we got together, we played a little sports, but it was always separate, man. It's like you, you don't you don't just do that. And I'm talking about this is going through the '70s, right. like like my era, and that's and it's crazy when I talk about that. It's like we used to think about that with my grandparents and them. They all they had it crazy, and then now you know with hip hop. Now you talk about hip hop, how does it transcend now? It's a lot different now. You see more mixed generations going on. There are good parts about hip-hop now, and then there are bad parts. The other part is nothing's ever going to stay the same. I made a comment was when we wanted to be accepted, we didn't understand the ramifications. You know, we didn't understand what it was, what it was going to happen when you want your stuff played on radio because they wasn't letting us get on radio. We had more of a control when we was dealing in the college circuit and the underground radios where, you know, the HBIs and all that kind of stuff. Right. We had more of a control. Now we, you on WBLS now. Now Chrysler is coming in. Like, uh, don't play that record because I'm not going to put you no money. Mm-hmm. I need you to play this record because I want that kind of people buying my stuff. So now we, we, we're, we're dealing with that. So, of course, you're going to have things change. Right. Of course, you're going to have the, the whole situation change. 
I'm not mad at the new music that's going on. I'm not mad at the rappers because Jeff, I, you know how I was when we come up. The Larry Blackmans and them used to treat us like this. Yeah, absolutely. Right, right. right. The R and B motherfuckers used to treat us like the way we getting mad at the young motherfuckers. Why you getting mad? I be telling them, why you getting mad? Because Chuck always said one thing: they are the the creators, the game changers, and the players. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. The creators was flashing everybody. You know, Cool Herc and all of them. We came in and we became the game changers. Now everybody else now is the players. Yep. Because this is this is legitimate now. This is a business now. Yeah. Who would ever thought that you can go to school for DJing and make a living at it? Right. right. My parents were like, y'all better get a damn job. College and all that. So stuff. if you can you can look at it for the bad part, there's no messaging. But there's no messaging because what's being saturated is what they want you to be saturated with. This is the price we had to pay when we want to get on major radio. Now, they're going to get in control. Let me ask you on the on come up, when you guys started kicking the doors in, who were some of the people that helped you out the most? They really like Def Jam. Ain't nobody. <laughs> I'm, I'm straight up. I'm Rick, Russell, they Def Jam. They just say, come over here, we got you. That's, That's what they did. No, actually, they did that. <laughs> Listen, Rick was trying to sign Chuck for a whole year. Chuck was the only person that turned down a record deal. The only person in record history that turned down a record deal. Wow. Then gave up. It's like, all right, fuck it. And they only wanted Chuck, but my brother said, no, you ain't getting Chuck because there's too many Ds. There was a heavy D, Chucky D, Scooby D, <laughs> Spider D. There was so many Ds. I mean, you ain't doing Chucky D. <laughs> so he came up with the crew. Well, we're going to come up with a crew. Right. And this is our angle. What are we going to do that's different? Yo, we dealing with shit. And that came about Going to Adelphi, Adelphi is in Garden City, and in Nassau County, and on the and being on the South Side, that's the super rich. That for us, yeah. I'm not, they rich. Now I ain't talking about when you go to the North Side, you in Cold Spring Harbor, or you over there where um, um, Charles Wang and the motherfuckers are living in, and the Dolans and all that. That's a whole nother level in today's world. You don't know who's living over there. It's a whole nother level. But this is Garden City, right next to Garden City, is Hempstead. Terrace Avenue. Now, this is crazy. This is Long Island. Terrace Avenue is the low-rise apartments. The most drug-infested spot damn near in Nassau County. Hard body, damn near beating out Suffolk County during the 80s. One block over, exactly one block, maybe 50 steps, is Garden City. Nothing. Quiet, you don't touch it, you don't bring that shit over there, you don't rob nobody. One block. Crazy. And not, not a city block. You know, I'm from Long Island, we got small blocks. That's not like we ain't got no big ass block. We got small ass blocks. It's the same thing with DC. Two blocks from the the, the White House is murder capital, like yeah. shots ringing out, like it's the Wild Wild West. And when I went out to Beverly Hills, uh, I went down, I believe it was either Crenshaw Boulevard or Martin Luther King Boulevard, which is usually the most violent street. Every Martin Luther King. I'm okay. Ironic. But, um, you know, I was just blown away because, um, like I said, I think it was Crenshaw or Martin Luther King. It leads right into Beverly Hills. Yeah. So you know? when, you, when you do that, so we're coming from Adelphi. So at, at Adelphi, there's a shuttle bus that takes you to the main road where we can get on the regular bus and go home. If we miss that, 
Pills, we had BAU, and we ain't got a car. We had to walk through Garden City. Oh, man. And it's always a police escort. They will not, you would not veer off in going through. So we dealt with that. That mm. would piss us off. Like, yo, we coming from Adelphi. Where y'all coming from? Adelphi, y'all, y'all don't go to, the, the college is right there, dude. Come on. So they, they wasn't having it. So this was spawned the, all the stuff that people thought Long Island was. Because my cousins and them, because we lived out there, just thought we was rich. Shit was fly. You know, we had our own room. You know, my cousins couldn't say, damn, you got, you got your own color TV. That's kind of normal. But how we living, that's normal. Right. We're middle class, and but we're poor because we understand who got the money. So that's, you know, that's where that zone is. Right. So we're looking at that. So that kind of drove us to our situation. And then it, little things like during the high times of crack era, your parents got a nice car. So everybody that's black in the hood, we were in our hood, y'all drug dealing. Y'all ain't going to school. Y'all ain't, they, they didn't even think we going to college. They didn't even care. They just thought we all was drug dealers. So if you had a nice car, it was a drug car. So they pull us over. Who caused this? How you gonna get the, who you get the money to have this kind of car? Like really? But that's what we was going through. You know, when you see that and you go through that constantly, and everybody just think that if you're if most people from from the boroughs think because you live in Nassau County or Suffolk County, y'all rich and y'all got it going on. It wasn't like that. That shit wasn't like that. Yes, some of us had families and two family homes and a car and like, but long as we stayed in that area, we was good. You step out of that area, once again. I mean, like, I, I know Cass was boosting and stealing. It. Yeah, of course, yeah, we, we do that. <laughs> we do that. But the, but the thing is, we all get looked at like that. Right? Yeah, absolutely. You know? and, that, and that sparked us with our rage. And this is what we want to talk about. And the worst thing that we thought when we started making those records, the people that we got flack from for the most was our own black people. Yeah, always. Like Always. Y'all are rebel rousers. We ain't trying to hear all that. We got it good. We're saying we ain't got it good. We trying to make a change, and we're getting more white supports that understand than we're getting not just the blacks, not the young, I'm talking about the adults that's like in Congress and all that. They was giving us, no, we just was wild kids wanting to just disrupt shit. Radio stations, they question our blackness. <laughs> we'll see if they'll play this. Yes. So we dealt with that. Too black, too strong. Yo, Chuck, these dirty dribbles are still fun on us. Tell them that we can do this, because we always do this. <laughs> yeah, boy. Bass, how low can you go? Death row. But like you guys were definitely hometown heroes after those records were popping. We were. We 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 we, we tried to be. <laughs> but what we you tried. what you guys did sonically yeah. is what I think put you guys over the well, top because I don't if you didn't even have to be into revolution hip hop or revolution rap, the music was undeniably innovative. Yo, one thing and we Chuck has that magic, that, that golden voice. Oh, well, that's God, like, like, that, that Frankie Crocker voice. One thing we understood and my brother knew better, was Sonics. Like, I don't know if I should say this. This deal with 
the German occupation when they was going through stuff with the with the Jews, all right, with the Jewish uh, religion. I think I know where you're going with this. And but I'm just gonna go with Sonics. Now Neumann is a German microphone. Now they made those their bullhorn or their megaphones and microphones in a way where they made the frequencies at a high level. So when the crazy man would speak, <laughs> he would speak, you would hear it in a loud volume, and it stretches. So sonically, from a scientific standpoint, we kind of took that concept of understanding how sound travels when it's, when it's at a high decibel oh, and a this. high frequency. This is deep. This is really I deep. I can't believe what I'm hearing. <laughs> I I, so this is all sonic. This is not out. When I don't want people coming. That's your belief. No, we are dealing with sound, nothing else, because we stole a lot of the German Americans stole a lot of the Germans scientists because they was above everybody else. Yeah, and then they're when the you ones go, that made the, we, the bomb that bombed they, Japan. They, they it wasn't all American that. All that Robert Oppenheimer, Robert Robert Oppenheimer, and all of them. They they understood that, and we had to steal a lot of stuff because they was being used for the wrong things. Now this is this is just history. Mm. So this is where I'm dealing with just in sound. I'm not dealing with no what happened and no Holocaust and all that. I got a lot of Jewish friends and. All that was terrible. I'm not dealing in that. Right, I'm not right, dealing right. with what was bad about it. It's just dealing in sound frequency and what Germans have developed and understood. So it's safe to say there's a little German engineering in the bomb squad. There's a little, <laughs> wait, there's a little German engineering in everything. <laughs> there's a little German in everything. Shoot, my turntable, a little German engineering. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the problem with sometimes with them now. They just think they're the smartest ones on the planet. <laughs> you have conversations like I'm great, but they it ain't cool people. But those are the things that my brother understood and we understood. Like this is what we need to achieve to make this whole thing work. And it was only it was only supposed to be for a short period. It was like a right. two year thing. Make some noise, then branch off and do what we want to do. Blah 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 blah. And it just happened to stick, and it just happened to make a zone. See, I think that's I think that's um kind of like the situation right now in hip-hop, right? So a lot of the new artists coming up and where you have the generation gap from, like the mumble rappers and then, you know, the people that really spin that real stuff. See, you guys were really thinking. You guys were thinkers. You guys were really trying to figure out a way how to innovate and come into the game and really just, you know what I'm saying? Now yeah. people, a lot of people just having fun because doing silly dances and they taking well, off, yeah. you feel but me? Once, once again, I'm going to go back to what I said they are the creators, they are the, the game, game changers, changes. and they're players. Yeah. Everybody's a players now. I love that. Because, love that. because what happens is, you don't, like, all those sounds we had to make, Cats is doing that shit for sound packs, mm -hmm. giving it to people. Mm -hmm. So you ain't got to worry about creating your own sound. What, I, I watch people like, I spent all this sound, all this time, and they get into um, 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 uh, working with uh, a lot of, a lot of um, electronic mods and building a patches and all that. I'd be like, that just sounds like the shit that money just put in the sound pack. Mm. I can't really tell the difference. Yeah, pretty so much. It, it's, it's how you apply it what makes it different. So that becomes a whole a whole nother game. And that's where we just tried to like, you know, influence when we was coming up because a lot of things we were just thinking further. You know, that's why Steve Jobs invented the mm -hmm. iPhone. He just thought further. What if you can carry a phone around and everybody can do it? And not just the super rich can have a 
portable. Well, everybody can have it. Absolutely. And that's what you know, we have. So when you're thinking ahead of the game and then when you're dealing in music, what's going to make you different? What's going to make you uh, stand out? We had to do that. You know, and then we it took us a minute to perfect it. Then on the first album, we was getting in. That second album, Takes a Nation, we kind of figured it out mm. because we got a chance to go around the world and understand what was on the tours and stuff and understand who was looking for what, what was happening with everything. I mean, the first album is incredible, too. I'm not going to lie. But uh, the second album... Like I said, you guys took it to another plateau. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because the first and album it still stands the test of the time. The first album was a year old before it came out. The, we did the shit was done a year before it came out, and you know how quick hip hop changes. But the first album was tough. Yeah. Um, no, it, my it Uzi, my Uzi weighs yeah. a ton. Yeah. Was my favorite track. And then we had to explain that what was that so meant. heavy. We, so had to, we had to explain that in the era of motherfuckers having Uzis. What do you mean you were violent? No. no. Can I tell you when <laughs> I heard Rebel without a pause? Right. That was probably one of the. First Public Enemy songs I, I heard, that wasn't released on an album yet. Yeah. So I bought the first album by accident. Like mm. I bought that album looking for, that. for Rebel <laughs> Without a Pause, and, but I got my Uzi Ways yeah. a ton, and I was happy. So that that when I first heard Rebel, I felt the same way you did. <laughs> <laughs> I was, that's that's I was probably so, like my favorite all-time Public Enemy song. Yeah, that was, and that was, like I said, that was done because my Uzi was the next single, the sound and sonics has changed in hip hop at that right. time, and we 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 had a, we had a little money left over in the in the budget to go in and produce something real fast, and it just happened. We just wanted something that sounded new. You, you are now listening to the '90s Hip Hop Junkie Podcast. What's the Rick Rubin relation? Because I know he mentioned earlier who were some of the people that helped you. You mentioned Def Jam. Yeah. How did um, his relationship work for you guys? Because I know Rick Rubin is responsible for pioneering a lot of you know a lot of acts in the in the hip hop world. He just let us do what we do. How did he find you guys though? Like- it, it, well, you gotta understand when we had BAU. So they used to send up. It was they artists? They only had three artists. It was that LL Beasties and and uh, and oh, Dr. Dre. So those when guys he did came original out of- concept, but Dr. Dre was original. Dr. Dre from UMTV was was the Beastie Boys DJ after Rick stopped DJing. Then Dre became the DJ, and then they gave Dre a deal, and Dre became original concept. And then Dre was on our radio. Dre was a, the other DJ when Bill left. There'd be to do um, BAU. So we all was all together okay. because Dre went to Adelphi with Chuck and all this. Wow. So we all we all was it was like we all was doing. And then as DJs. Us and Dre would do parties. I had we had a club out in East where it was called uh, it was Twilight and it was Entourage in Bayshore. All the Suffolk County cats come through, like Rakim and and EPMD when them was coming up and stuff like that. Bismarcky was always out there. Um, TJ Swan and them was coming through because they all lived out there. So we had this little club and we tearing it down and then we dragging in people from the Bronx and Brooklyn coming out that far. Now mm-hmm. that's something that's 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 like almost a half hour from here when we, we are in Nassau County. So they was coming out there, and we had that club on smash. So that was that whole era, man, coming out, you know, um, doing things out there. Um, and it, it was, you know, those is those is the era. And you, I know you spoke about mumble rappers. So I got to think about mumble rappers. <laughs> I kind of like them if you look at it, if you look at them from a different perspective. I look at them as jazz scat singers. 
Okay. Wow. See, nobody looks at it like that. Ella Fitzgerald, they're doing the same thing. If they're not really saying much, it's about a melody that they do. And that's right. what you rock. 100%. See, everybody, see, see, this is where everybody, like, I'm a purist at times, but I'm an open dude to understand, like, scat was not pure singing. You know, it wasn't like the, 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 um, the, 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 um, what you call it, the, um, I want to I want to throw up uh, Bing Crosby and all of them, but those was crooners, you know. They was do their thing and and, and the Dean Martins. So when Errol Ellenham's doing jazz, skip it with me, no words, and that would be a, a joint. My issue is that not so much that it's mumble rap that there's no room for artists that are just spitting conscious lyrics or just good lyrics in general on these radio stations anymore. And that's where I have an issue. There's room for everybody. Back in the 80s, you had gangster rap, you had happy rap, you had conscious rap, rap. you had lyrical rap, you had all types of different artists performing. But what you you had back in the 80s, this was new. This is not new anymore. So now you got commercials Telling people how to make records. Right, right. Because advertising is advertising, super, key. Ab- super key. Advertising changed all of that. Yeah. Once again, I will go back to when we wanted to be accepted to make more money, that's what we gave up. Not realizing that that would be the thing that we would give up. You would give up like, oh, oh. So you want to be on, you want to be in prime time on, at the, you want to, call it Kiss FM, which was not playing none of this. Oh, so you want prime time? They can't come on and play me in so, prime time. So remember, <laughs> remember if we got on radio, remember we had to make we had to make positive records. And that got to be like like when I mean by positive, they wanted happy, to it's happy like, happy it's like that. Yeah. But we was like, wait, suck MCs is the shit that's Banging in the street. Yes. Oh absolutely. no, we can't play that because that's just that's not what we want to represent our brand. Mm-hmm. We had to give that up to represent the brand. Sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Yes. But now the brands are like, what what ratchet shit you got? <laughs> yeah, for exactly. real. So because true. we want <laughs> so man, want let me tell you, I had like I do some sync licenses and stuff. So uh company came, um, Fucking HP, HP fucking up. <laughs> they was looking for a, a song for the what's that female thing that they had come out over the summer with um, Tiffany Haddish and all of them, some little the little female comedy thing they had going on. But they was looking for a song for um, uh, uh, for their um, for their little trailer commercial. The stallion chick. Yes, the they wanted music. music like that. Now, mind you, who is I get an email like that where we want the stallion, we want the stallion joint. Yeah, we yeah. want records like that. <laughs> Mind you, who's asking me for that? Young white, um, not even executive, but like AR marketing people. They're asking for that. Wow. It's kind of know that the, sells. Well, that, the, the, the kids is on that music. That's who's really digging into that. But regardless, they're the ones asking for that. That's when we made that comment that there's no room. There is room. But them young white kids that's in control, they don't want that shit. They want your ratchet shit. No, they want the ratchet they shit. They want the stallion doing stuff, but they will never ask 
from a white artist to do that. Nope, not at all. Co- coming from the era you come from, like from before hip hop, seeing the whole revolution. Now I might have lost some the, money for doing from, saying that shit. <laughs> nah, we'll keep that. We'll keep that. You know what I'm saying? But from the from the the, the revolution days to the evolution to the, where this shit is at now, could you ever like fathom that that thought? Um, I did. It was there because, you know, I was going through my issues and everybody was like, well, when rap is going to be a fad? I'm like, nah, it's going to be valuable. You mean, because it, it does make money. And at the time, we was making us a little bit of money. So I, we, we kind of knew it sustained, but we didn't think it would just be like... Like that explosion, take over that the world. That explosion, take over the world. To the point where now even the Latin artists, they taking the, 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 the Latin trap stuff and, you know... Everybody. Crazy. It's mm-hmm. like, it's it's... It's rap has became a hip hop music, whatever you want to call it, categorize it, has became a staple of everybody music. It's strong island for real, where the critters run wild. The prefix is 516, the top of the dial. Flew the LI sound from the villa down under and across the globe. I heard a lot of folks wondering. We got DJ Khan coming up, right? Mm-hmm. All right, you gonna be over there, right? Yes. So um, just tell the tell the people where they gonna find you. Today. Uh, you uh, DJ Khan November fourth, uh, November fourteen, November sixteenth at the Marriott Marquis in Midtown Manhattan. Um, be there. Um, I represent PV, one of my my branded companies. I represent, and everybody you want to hit me at uh, all the platforms. Just hit Keith Shockley. You know, Instagram, everything is the same. Uh-huh. Keith, man, thank you so much for your uh, time. Uh, um, thank you. Salute to you and uh, thank you. Chuck and Flav and Griff and you know the the Bomb Squad. You know the S1Ws, the whole Public Enemy family, man. We appreciate yeah. y'all. And like I said, again, for those that don't know, please check. It takes a nation of millions to hold us back. It's one of the greatest hip hop albums ever from one of the greatest groups in hip hop, Public Enemy. Salute to you, Keith. Got Salute it. to your brother Hank. Yes, thank you. Shout out, shout out. Yo, we signing out. It's the kid, J. Dot Littles, man. 90s Hip Hop Junkie. Once again, Keith, thank you for everything, man. Episode three is locked in, man. See you next time. One. Thanks. Peace, Peace. Rich. Peace. Peace. Peace, Big Jeff.